0: Hi there, I'm Nihal and you're listening to the Rescue Tales podcast, the show dedicated to helping you settle your adopted rescue dog. In this episode, I chat with Sally Adli about how we can communicate more effectively with our dogs. Now when you first bring your dog home, it will probably feel really overwhelmed and quite scared. It takes time for a dog to settle in its new home, which is why it's so important to learn how to listen to and respond to your dog's needs beyond just the basics of food and shelter. Now, Sally also talks about the importance of taking a force-free or punishment-free approach to training. She shares some really interesting research that shows the negative impact of using these sorts of approaches. This is such an important topic for all dog owners, and I would urge anyone who's working with trainers who suggest that they use things like shock collars, choke chains, hitting your dog, or any forceful or punishment-driven approach to really take a look at what the evidence is showing, because you really are putting both yourself, family, and your dog at risk with these approaches. Sally is the founder of Kilebi, a free educational platform that helps dog owners understand more about canine communication. She's also the founder of Egypt's top-rated dog hotel, where she hosted and worked with hundreds of dogs over the years. As always, I really hope you enjoy this episode and if there are any specific topics that you'd like me to cover in future episodes of the podcast, reach out to me on social media. On Facebook, we're rescuetales.co and on Instagram, it's also rescuetales.co. Hi Sally and thank you so much for joining me today on the Rescue Tales podcast.
1: Hi Nihal, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm
0: excited excited as well because you've got... (laughs) years of experience with dogs, particularly um, baladi or or, or stray dogs, but we call them baladi dogs in Egypt. But before we jump into the topic that we're going to be focusing on today, which is all about communicating with our dogs, tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, your experience with dogs, and of course, we want to know who your current dogs are as well. I kind of
1: got sucked in, in the dog's world about... Eight and a half years ago, we had our first dog, and that connected us to the dog world. Before that, there was a dog on the street who had given birth to nine puppies, and we were, of course, clueless. We didn't know what to do, and she was extremely friendly. She was the neighborhood dog, but of course, no one wanted her on the street with the nine puppies. So anyway, her name was Suka, and we decided to do something about it, and and of course, we didn't know by the time we wanted to spay her, it was too late because we weren't very aware of, of you know, what to do, how to spay, where to go. It, it was really, uh, it was a, a blur to us, the whole thing. So uh, me and my husband, we decided to take her and uh, with the help of a few friends, we managed to find a place, safe place for her and the puppies. And of course the puppies grew and we had to find homes. So all her puppies found homes and the most important part was to find her a home. She was lucky enough also with the help of so many people, she was lucky enough to travel to the UK and that was that was I think I would I would say 8, eight years ago maybe maybe and until today I I get updates on her news, pictures and she's extremely happy. she's extremely happy. So Suka is basically our, we had actually, we had Louie, our dog, our first, but it was all because of her that we got sucked into, you know, rescue and taking in a foster after another and trying to find homes and fly them abroad, uh, spending a lot of money on trying to find them homes and of course raising a lot of money. So that's basically how it started our interest in, in helping out dogs. But then I had a regular job, like a regular nine to five job. And at some Mm. point I decided, you know what, maybe, maybe it's best to work with dogs (laughs) and be able to do what I want, what I'd love to do, because we had several rescue placed in different shelters and at home we had foster dogs. So we kind of needed a place to, to have all these dogs together in one place. Mm. But I still needed to have a stream of income and and to have it in a sustainable way so that these dogs are fed and well taken care of. So we decided to start a boarding facility, a dog, very Mm. small dog hotel. And because of our network, you know, in the rescue community, we started having clients and then the business kind of grew bigger and bigger for the past five years. I did close, however, a few months ago, because as you can imagine, it's very overwhelming. It can be very overwhelmed with your own, because now we have 18 dogs to that we look mm. after at the hotel who are the resident dogs, our dogs, plus the clients dogs that come as guests and stay for a while. It became a little bit too overwhelming for me and a bit stressful because that's how it is. If, if, If you want to take good care of the dogs, you have to be there every day. And maybe delegating was not very easy for me to do at the time. Mm. So now I'm just focusing on our 18 dogs who are at the former
0: boarding facility and uh, our five dogs at home. Wow, (laughs) That's, that's a lot of dogs at home. I remember when we spoke last and you told me that you just felt like you were burning out because you were so hands-on with it and you were never taking holidays and everything. And I, I suppose that's probably why you're one of the leading or the leading boarding facility in, in the country. And just to give listeners some context, you know, boarding facilities for pets is not very common in Egypt. And also there's still a long way to go in terms of animal welfare in Egypt as well. So I think, you know, the work you're doing, the work Amina's doing, and others I'll be interviewing on the podcast is is really making an a, an important change and shift in people's perception around you know the baladi or street dog in in egypt and and how amazing and intelligent and trainable those animals and loving those animals mm. are when they're given the chance so i think i think it's amazing what you're doing but tell us a bit more about What you're doing at the moment with because you've kind of shifted now and taking more of an educational approach with Kilebi so tell us a little bit about that and just help our listeners understand what Kilebi means because Kilebi is Arabic so (laughs) true yes
1: okay so the boarding facility was called Kilebi Kilebi means my dogs because um, so we started with our own dogs hence Kilebi which means my dogs and currently Kilebi is more of an awareness or an educational platform to know to to help spread the experience that I've accumulated throughout the years on, on dog behavior, on, on how to deal with dogs, how to communicate with dogs, how to uh, take care of dogs. Because as you said, yes, it's a relatively new concept uh, in Egypt to have dogs and to actually to treat them as family members. This was not very, this was not very common. The whole point behind the, the page is to help people understand their dogs better.
0: Yeah and uh, and 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 that's that's a great thing because I've not come across anything you know focusing on the Egyptian market that helps people understand canine communication in a really simple way. So when you talk about communicating what what do you actually mean? Well, you see I I like
1: to look beyond training so for me having a dog is not just about kind of programming the dog. You see what I mean? Mm. it's it's not just about teaching him a bunch of commands and and that's it and this is communication I, because dogs have different needs so communicating means for me is to understand your own dog that you establish a bond with your dog that goes beyond you know the typical commands it's not discipline mm. it's not mm. training it's more of how to sense what your dog needs because every dog needs something different from the other and how to provide that need without forcing anything on the dog. So it's not just, oh, the dog needs to exercise. Okay, so we take the dog on daily runs. Maybe your dog doesn't need that. How can you read that? How can you understand that? How to not to force Mm. your dog instance to be, let's say my dog doesn't like people. Okay, so how do you Mm. communicate with your dog and tell your dog that it's okay to be around people? And maybe, maybe Mm. it's too stressful for him to be around people. Then how do you manage that? And how Mm. can you make your life flexible enough and adjust your life enough to uh, fit your
0: specific dog's needs into your own life? That's what I mean by communication. So what I'm hearing from what you're saying is it's about listening to your dog and responding to what you're hearing and observing. Yes, exactly, exactly. So when I adopted Rosa and I brought her home, that was a lesson I learned really, really quickly is if I that I had to listen to her, understand how to read her body language. And yeah. her body language was telling me, please, I'm scared, please don't... Please mm. don't hurt me. And she thought if I came near her, it was because I was going to hurt her. So for me, listening to her, you know, express that with her body language, mm. the, the message I took from that was, okay, just just step back. And it was really interesting because when I did step back and when I was patient, she eventually came to me. What I did was I just put myself in her paws and thought, if I was mm. her in this situation, I was suddenly thrown into this new environment, even if it was a, a lovely home, you know, I've been taken away from the field, which was my home. And I was used to that. What would I need? And I'm like, okay, I would need space. I would need patience. I would need time. So I just gave her those things. But it was, it was, a lot of it is just really thinking and putting yourself in the animal's shoes in a way or pause rather. So no, I think, I think that's a great way of explaining it. What are some of the basic ways of communicating with our dogs? And you talk about some of these on, on your uh, page, Kalebi Cairo. So just talk us through maybe a couple of examples.
1: So basically what you did was with Rosa, it's basically giving the dog time and, and space. First step is for us dog parents to accept that we don't speak the same language. That's, that's step one, because a lot mm. of time we, for some, not for some reason, I mean, maybe rightfully so if we treat them as family members, we look at them as our children. And we treat them sometimes mm. as our children. Yes, there is a, a very similar relationship of infant and parent when it comes to dogs and people who, who look at their dogs as as family members, but they're animals, mm. okay? They have their own language. So first of all, if we accept that we don't speak that language, that is already a big step and and we need to accept that we need to learn their language. Okay. Mm. So that the first thing, the second thing is that we need to accept that they have needs beyond food, shelter, and health. Their needs go beyond that. We need to accept that they are different species and we have brought them in our homes in a completely different environment. And a lot of times we limit their needs to, oh, but giving them food, taking them to the vet. But you know what, sometimes that's not enough. And that actually stresses them out and then creates behavioral problems. And then we, as the dog owners, become fed up and we say, oh, this dog is broken. I don't want this dog, okay? There's Mm. no broken dog. Every dog has their key entry point. So my five dogs at home, each is different. Some maybe need more Mm -hmm. exercise than others. Some need more mental stimulation than others. Yes, need food and shelter, but all need a little bit more, but in various degrees. So if we accept these two things that, first of all, they're not human beings. Yes, we love them as our children sometimes. That they speak a different Mm -hmm. language and that their needs are not the basic needs, you know, that we think of. Then we can start establishing a, a point of communication. After I've after I've offered everything, after I've given them more than their basic needs, after I started learning about their language, then I can talk to them. You see what mm-hmm. I mean? Then I can start reading what they're doing and give them time. If, let's say, there's a, a behavior, okay, that I want to change. Did I give the dog all the needs that they they need that i or am i just feeding the dog and keeping them in a clean place do i understand the dog language if i don't have these two how can i solve the behavioral issue maybe the dog is acting xyz because of the environment that he's in so
0: you see what i mean it's it's like Mm -hmm. it builds up i i think it's a really important point and i think the problem with us as dog owners, often we try and treat the symptoms and the symptoms can be barking. The symptoms can be eating shoes. The symptoms could be, you know, all sorts mm. of different behaviors that that we feel are inappropriate, but often it's the dog being a dog and expressing an underlying emotion. And we've been unsuccessful at reading that emotion. I remember when I started, so when I first brought us a, a, a home, I I never left a home alone for the first month. Um, and then slowly, which was really hard because I had to make sure that my husband was home for me to go out, like just to the gym. So I didn't see my friends. I didn't see anyone. And maybe this is being too extreme. I don't know, but because I, I also have really bad separation anxiety. So I found it very difficult to leave her. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I started to, to, to leave a home alone, initially, you know, for you know, 20 minutes and then increased it to, to maybe 40 minutes and then an hour. And I never leave her more than like three, four hours maximum. There was a point where she started to eat. She so she ate a pair of my shoes and mm. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, th- this is this is her feeling some kind of emotional turmoil and this is how she's coping with it. Or she might be really bored. So I went and I brought her some puzzles and I bought her a snuffle mat and I would hide all the treats so she could go hunting because she's a hunting breed um so that she would be preoccupied to assess whether or not you know it was a boredom problem or it was a separation anxiety problem and it was a boredom problem but I think like it's so important to stop and reflect on why is the dog behaving this way? The other really interesting thing that I find, because I know that many people, especially when you first bring home a rescue dog, and you'll obviously know this really well, is that they just, dogs express fear in different ways. You know, Rosa, she freezes. That's her de- defense reflex. Some mm. dogs bark. Some dogs run. You know, some dogs growl. And so different dogs show different defense reflex. And if we don't understand that, then we just label the dog as aggressive. Whereas exactly. it could be scared. Maybe it's in pain. Maybe there's a problem with its diet. You know, there could be
1: all sorts of other reasons. And you know what, Mihal, the point that you mentioned about Rosa chewing, okay, her your shoes mm. and all of that. You know, you followed the right path of trying to dig in the reason rather than humanizing that behavior. And I, I really want to stress on that because what I hear over and over again, what someone else, for instance, would say, oh, she chewed my favorite shoes. She did this out of spite. Uh, she did this on purpose because she knows that he peed on the bed because the dog knows that this is where we sleep. You know, sometimes we really think that dogs are that complicated in terms of the th- their thinking plot process. But the, in reality, their thinking process is a lot simpler than that.
0: And that is... That is a really, really good point to to talk about because I've been researching lately a lot about dogs' emotions, and whilst they 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 experience a broad range of emotions, including joy, sadness, yeah. excitement, disgust, it kind of starts to stop at emotions like guilt and spite. Yeah it's amazing how many misperceptions there are about dogs and and their behavior. You know, I think again, just back to, you know, if you don't, if you don't have the the knowledge of dog psychology or dog behavior, like many, many of us don't, especially for first time dog owners is just to go research, read. So Sally, let's move on to a really important topic. And it's, you know, what we're talking about is a nice segue into this, but you've, had many experience working with many, many dogs over the years through your, you know, boarding facility and now the dogs that you have. What kind of approach have you taken from a training standpoint? And what's your experience been in terms of the different approaches and what works and what doesn't essentially?
1: Okay. I'm just talking purely out of experience. And mm-hmm. and out of just seeing hundreds of dogs throughout the years, and starting with our own dog, with my very first mm-hmm. dog, we were reading normally on on online, and we read a lot about dominance methods, how you know you need to punish the dog, and methods that really did not involve anything positive. It involved how to use your body language to dominate a dog, and we've applied them. It was our first dog, and we didn't know anything and we read articles online that and of course we've seen the uh, many tv shows and of course the famous caesar milan we've followed that with our first dog and Mm. honestly it did not help us it did not help the dog it definitely did not make him happy it definitely stressed us out a lot so anyway after louis and louis sadly died after being poisoned because that's that's how it is sometimes in Egypt. But anyway, we've realized the mistakes we've made with Louis. It was in the very first months we realized, you know what, mm-hmm. this is not working. And later on, after we've, you know, hosted many dogs and started our hotel and we started reading a lot and look, you know, meeting a lot of dogs. The only way we we did manage to change so many behaviors and, and to improve the relationship of the dog and the dog parent through one thing, just positive mm. reinforcement. It ha- Whatever you want to say to the dog, it has to be in a happy environment. It has to be fun. It has to reinforce the bond that you have with your dog. It cannot be mm. with uh, through alienating him. It, it really doesn't work. So first of all, dogs don't understand punishment. That's first of all, you're speaking gibberish. Mm. So, so for instance I'll give you an example I was just in discussing with a friend of mine yesterday her dog's behavior he whenever he hears the doorbell he goes and bites his own parents so he goes and bites my friend mm. and like severely severely and it's not the first time mm. we've come across this behavior so w- what does she do how does she handle the situation what she often does is that she punishes them she gives him time out so she carries him mm. in the middle of the fight And in the middle of the stress that he's in and locks him up in a room or puts him in a room. What did the dog Mm. learn? For sure, next time the door will, the bell will ring, he will go ahead and bite them. The dog doesn't understand that this is a punishment. He doesn't, he's just now, all of a sudden he's in a different room. He doesn't understand it. Mm. He didn't learn anything. And we are still in a stressful situation. So what did we accomplish? We didn't do anything. And this is not even a mean punishment. I mean, there are more mean punishments that I see people hitting their dogs, um, thinking, oh, I'm just hitting them on their nose with with a piece of paper. I mean, this is not just confusing the dog. This is actually fueling the dog against you. And this is, how will this work in your favor? You will just make the dog scared. And at some point the dog will want to defend themselves. Right. And honestly, Mm. I wouldn't want the dog at this point. So punishment is, is really not just scientifically proven because it is scientifically proven that it doesn't work, but practically it doesn't, it just confuses the dog more, messes up the, the relationship that the dog has with their parent, and they don't understand. They don't understand the language. What do dogs understand? They understand one thing. If I do something and this something yields something positive, whether this something positive is a treat or a game or a toy or praise, this will reinforce the behavior more and more again. The dog is smart enough to repeat this behavior again because the dog wants the positive outcome. You see what I mean? Mm. But they don't. the other yeah. way around doesn't work. So if let's say the dog peed in the wrong area, and this is a very, very common problem that some of the followers complain about. Mm. But my dog peed in the wrong area and I um, hit him on the nose and still he wouldn't stop peeing in that area. Guess what? Because peeing is not even something wrong for him. You see what I mean? Instinctually, mm-hmm. it, 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 dogs don't have this. They don't compartmentalize behaviors in their head. They don't do behaviors intentionally, like they don't bark intentionally. They don't. They don't plan that they're gonna bark. They don't plan that they're gonna pee. Like us, for instance, they don't have a designated area for peeing unless you show them how. And showing them how yeah. only comes in one way, by telling them if you do this in this particular way you will get this amazing piece of liver this is how they learn scientifically i will also i'm happy to share the the research with you it was proven Please. that dogs are much mm. more responsive to a command or to a behavior if it's if it's followed by a treat or a or praise and it was proven that mm. dogs um, are trained under dominance methods like choke chains. They tend to be in with time. They tend to show more aggressive behaviors mm. and more hostile.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is now an overwhelming, you know, body of research that supports that forceful approaches might appear to work in the short run because the animal is scared mm. of the individual, but they are they do they do not work on the longer term and all they do is create a relationship that's based on fear between you and your animal. Mm. And I'm not sure, like, as, I don't know, like as a parent, you don't want your child to be scared of you. You want your child to love you and respect you. And those things can go hand in hand. And I think, you know, that's the relationship I want with my dog. Maybe talk us through some examples of how you would, in your experience with your dogs, how you've managed maybe some you know, certain behaviors, how you've managed those through positive reinforcement approaches. So
1: there's a very, one of our favorite examples or one of our favorite dogs that we've worked with is a dog uh, called Lily and she's an Egyptian Baladi. and Egyptian Baladi's mm. are by nature. I mean, if, if I mean if you've talked to Amina, I'm sure she had already given you uh, a lot of information about them, yeah. but they're very cautious and and mm. they, don't necessarily open up easily to new people. So the problem with Lily was that her family could not ever, ever bring visitors home because she wouldn't stop barking uh, aggressively at the visitor. And sometimes she would go as far as kind of nipping at the visitor's leg. And even if the person is not scared of dogs, that, that enough for the person to not want to come and visit, right? So what Mm. we did is that we kept going, my husband and I, and we went six sessions each time, I think, around an hour and a half. And, of course, the work was not done by the sixth session, but it it Mm. basically took us, the first session, it took us the whole session just sitting there, not looking at her, not making eye contact, just sitting on the chairs, not even on the floor closer to her. Like, mm. even though it's always best to, you know, go down to the dog's level, she, she was mm. in the state where she just doesn't want people in, in, in her home. So mm. she doesn't want people next to her. She wasn't, doesn't want people close to her. So it took us the whole session of her barking nonstop for an hour and a half going as close, you know, as our, you know, to our legs, to our ankles, nipping a little bit, and we just didn't budge. We didn't make mm. eye contact because what are we trying to tell her? We're trying to tell her, we're not out to get you. And you would throw treats at her. Of course, the first session, she was too tense and too mm-hmm. stressed to even mm. um, sniff at the treats. But want to create is make to make her feel safe like we are you are in a safe environment no one is out to get you and for the next few sessions we kept doing that so you can imagine not everyone would do that with their dog people want quick fixes right they don't want to stay for hours and and before they get to know a dog so what's the Mm. easiest thing to do put the dog on a choke chain, and whenever the dog snaps, we yank them. But anyway, with Lily, by the third session, she started to sniff. She would bark a little bit and then stop, and then she would start to sniff. And then Mm. our goal was eventually to touch her and pet her. And our Mm. goal is for her family to follow this with all the strangers, all the visitors who come. And, mm. and this would prove to Lily that every time there's a new person and if they stay quiet and they don't make eye contact and they throw treats to her, not mm. at her because she was too scared to have anything th- being, being thrown yeah. around her. So this is also, it depends from one doc to another, how, mm. how you, you pro, like you design the, the, the training session. And I wouldn't say it's a training mm. session. It's like a desensitization session. And mm. so we asked the family to replicate this with as many visitors as possible. And eventually, they finally were able to bring visitors home. That doesn't mean that Lily will never work at visitors again. Because still, mm. feed dogs are like, yes, sometimes dogs can go back to the old state. Sometimes dogs can get worse. But the whole point is that we need to be consistent. The whole household needs to be consistent and keep it as positive as possible so no one would shout i mean they used to for instance they used to to shout they used to lock her in a room i mean none of that worked Mm. so this is also this is one of my favorite cases do you do you know anything about her background and like any of the trauma she might have been through Yes, she had a traumatic background. I remember now that she was left in clinics. She underwent a lot of surgeries and had problems with her legs. Mm. So she spent a lot of time uh, in clinics. So God knows how they Mm. treated her. I, I don't think they treated her badly. I just think some dogs are kind of predisposed to
0: being more scared than others. Just touching on the point, because you talked about desensitization and just to help our listeners who might not be familiar with what that means in the context of, you know, dog world is when you desensitize a, a, an animal to something that scares it, it means you are very gradually exposing it to the dog in a very controlled, slow manner. And when it, you know, it, so when it accepts that thing passively, you reward that behavior but it accepts it passively. So it's exactly like you talked about as a great example of just sitting, not no eye contact because dogs see that as threatening when you have an extended eye contact, just giving the dog space, not throwing treats at it, just throwing it around on the floor. So it sees something positive is coming from these people mm-hmm. and doing that slowly over time is what desensitization is about. So I just wanted to clarify that point.
1: What we need to understand is that it takes time to fix a behavior and Treats and positive attitude should be part of your life with your dog.
0: Yeah, I know. I agree with you. My trainer, who's fantastic, me and Rosa both really, really love him, and and he has such a great approach. And the way he explained that to me, which I I really liked, he said, think of it like a battery. You always Mm. have to be charging it. And, Uh you know, you you don't ever want it running, like, close to to empty. So you're always reinforcing even the behaviors that they know on a constant basis. Like I told you before we started recording, like Rosa's obsessed with bread. Like she yeah. will do anything for some white <laughs> bread. It's insane. She will prefer <laughs> white bread over meat. It's, yeah. I think it's, and I think that goes back to listening to your dog and observing them and seeing what they respond positively to. My mom. My mom's dog responds really well to praise. Like she'll do anything for a good girl. (laughs) So different animals. Yeah. Well, Like you said, like they're all individuals. And I think it goes back to the point that you first made when we started talking about communication, just like communication between two people is about sending your message in a way that the other person understands. And then listening to their response and reacting accordingly. So if we were talking now and I started talking to you in, you know, Mandarin and you don't speak Mandarin, then mm. our communication has broken down. So when you start saying to your dog, yeah. no bad boy, like it doesn't mean anything to them. No, when I was speaking to someone, I mean, Amina was saying, wonderful when we were speaking earlier and she said, you know, you can't be mad at your dog for being a dog said <laughs> so that's not exactly. perfect, and I think exactly. that's often what we do. We get mad at our dogs for being a dog. So mm. no, I think I think the work you're doing is is amazing, Sally. But tell mm. our listeners where they can find out more about Kilebi. Is it just on Instagram, or do you have a Facebook page and a website as well?
1: We have a Facebook page, but I have to say the Instagram account is a lot more active with daily content, really. And I'm I'm really open to people sending me all sorts of questions and we try to help give advice, of course, for free and spread as much awareness as possible. But we're on Facebook also as uh, Kilebi Cairo.
0: Well, thank you, Sally, so much for taking the time to chat with me today on Rescue Tales. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you for having me. I mean, uh, good luck uh, in all the rest of the interviews. I'm looking forward to hearing everything. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Sally.